You may be wondering why Nancy is behind me here. <laughs> Doing a sermon on backseat driving. Today. You are so lucky I did not <laughs> I'm just kidding. One thing that I've learned to do over the years um, is to be sensitive to God. And, and uh, first of all, I want to say this, that um, I know we're celebrating um, next week uh, as I retire from the school system. Um, but to, to be serving in the Lord as long as I have is no way I would have been anywhere um, successful or blessed is, is if I didn't have Nancy by my side. She is a wonderful woman of God. I know you've heard her teach before, and she is fantastic. She also um, gives me wisdom when, I, when I'm stubborn, um, which is probably too much. Um, but but uh, God puts people in our lives to help us and to complement us in different ways, and she's been a fantastic um, um, p- part of everything we've done. In, in ministry over the many, many years. And so um, as I was pre- trying to prepare my message this week, it just wasn't coming together, and sometimes it does, and I have to thank God what's what's going on. Um, and uh, as I started to share with Nancy, she, you could tell God was giving her a word, and, and uh, she said, well, maybe you should preach about this and, do, and say this and do this, and they say that and that and that. And <laughs> I said, no, I think you have the message for this week. And she knew that she she knew it as soon as she started talking, and and so uh, God has given her message today in the church uh, calendar is the day of Pentecost, and so she's going to teach to us uh, about the day of Pentecost, and so here is Nancy. Well, he really was not kidding when I said to him, "What are you preaching about?" He turned and he said, "Well, it's the day of Pentecost," and I felt like. A jolt of electricity went through me like I had all these ideas just right into my head. So I said to him, oh, well, that's great. You should teach on, and I proceed to, and he doesn't really say much, and then he says, so you're preaching? (laughs) And I start off with that because it really is key to the message that I'm actually going to be talking about. Now, I am a person who loves language. I love language arts, uh, anything to do with reading, writing, literacy, I am there. I also love history and social studies and geography, but I do not like science. I am not a science person. In fact, to illustrate that point, when I taught first grade, you know, those really complex first grade science components, I switched teachers with somebody else, and she taught science, and I taught social studies for her class. So, I mean, it's just not my thing. I'm not a science person. So when he said the day of Pentecost, and science immediately downloaded into my brain, I knew that this was not born out of me, because I had to then go and research all the stuff about science, because I really don't know anything about science. So... We are going to begin sort of talking in a science class. Now, I do want to tell you that there is going to be parts that are audience participation. So some of the questions that I ask will require some response from you, although some will be rhetorical. It'll be up to you to figure out which is which. (laughs) 
All right, I just want to keep you on your toes. Scientists define energy as the ability to do work. That's energy. Modern civilization is only possible because people have learned how to change energy from one form to another to complete the work that is necessary. There are a lot of different kinds of energy. There's electrical and motion. There's heat and light. We now have nuclear energy. There's a lot of different kinds. But it really is categorized into two main areas. Does anybody besides Brad know what those two main areas are? If I give you one, I bet you can come up with the other. There is potential energy and kinetic energy. Potential energy is stored energy. In my limited science knowledge, I always thought it was energy at rest. And so when I was, you know, um, pitching the sermon I thought Brad should preach, I said to him, well, you just need to work on, like, you know, energy at rest. What is that? And he said, you mean potential energy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and kinetic energy. Now, in fairness, the only reason I know kinetic energy is that it starts with a Greek root, K-I-N-E, that means motion. Potential, I didn't have anything to associate with, with what I like, so had to rely on Brad. But potential energy, or stored energy, and kinetic energy, which is the energy of motion. Now, I'd like you to take a look at this picture. What kind of energy do you see there? Potential energy. How do you know that? They're not in motion. What do you expect? to happen at any second motion the gun is going to go off and motion is going to happen isn't it so potential energy can be changed to kinetic energy very very quickly in fact the person who runs the race is going to be the person who can take that potential energy and move it to kinetic energy as quickly as possible right if they wait until after the gun has gone off to begin their motion, the odds of them catching up and winning the race are going to be small. At the first inclination they hear that gun, they take off and change from potential energy to, to kinetic energy. How about this one? What do we have? It is potential energy, but you can tell we're moving to kinetic energy, right? All right. How about this one? It has both. Sort of makes me think of that Uber Eats commercial where they're suddenly like trying to eat things that can't be eaten and they're like, eh, this doesn't work. We have both here. We have people who are moving and we have people who are waiting. Right? They're in, a, they're in a, a time of waiting. But they have to be ready to move as soon as that baton gets close. They have to be able to change the type of motion, the type of energy that they are involved in. If you think about it in terms of a runner, you have to know that every muscle... Every cell, every fiber of their being is ready to go from potential energy to kinetic energy. 
All right? So let's take a look at this one. What kind of energy do we have? You will, Again, we have both. We have someone who is at rest. But let me ask you a question. Is all motion, is all kinetic energy going to be happening in a physical realm that we can see? There's a lot of thinking going on, isn't there? Our brain and our thinking processes have to be involved in kinetic energy, in motion. So really, the one here who is about to move a piece is using kinetic energy, but I would bet that the one not moving a piece is using kinetic energy. Because inside of his brain, he is thinking about 18 different steps he might take and what will happen down the line with all of those. That is also still motion. It is energy being used. So what does all of this have to do with the day of Pentecost? I want to really focus on that moment that we have to go from potential energy to kinetic energy and how the apostles did that in that moment of Pentecost. What do you think of when you hear the word Pentecost? How many think of New Testament apostles? This one's not a rhetorical. Yeah? How many think Old Testament? I got one hand. All right. We'll see if he's right. I don't know. All right. You know how today we can learn just about anything from Google or Siri or Alexa? You don't even, you know, if you're in your house and you have one of those, you can just, Alexa, what is, or you can just have them do anything you want. And so, as I thought about Day of Pentecost, I thought, I wonder what Google would say. So I did that. Hey, Google, what is Day of Pentecost? And I got an answer. Google says, date, 50 days after Easter. Pentecost literally means 50, celebrates the day the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, causing them to speak in tongues. On a scale of 1 to 10, the importance of Pentecost depends on the person. That is Google's answer to what is the day of Pentecost. Now, I grew up in, a, in the church, um, and... We attended every Sunday without fail. We were all lined up. We were sitting. We attended every holy day. And honestly, almost every day in between, I was in church. Because I attended Holy Family Catholic School in Grand Blanc, and we had morning mass every day from grades 1 through 8. What I remember about going to mass every day for all of those years was the first day of school, the most exciting part, was getting to see where you sat in the church. Because you literally moved in importance based on what grade you were in. And eventually, by eighth grade, you ended up right in front of the priest 
and that was the key spot. But that's what I remember from going to, to church every Sunday. Don't tell my parents that, and please don't tell Father Bush that, but that's what I remember. But I did learn some things. Some things got through. So when I hear Pentecost, I have an image in my head of, of 12 men standing around, and they have fire coming up over their head, and they're all kind of looking at each other funny. That's in my head, like Pentecost, immediately. That's the picture I get. So again, I googled images, day of Pentecost. That's what pops up in my head. And I couldn't believe that Google knew exactly what was in my head. And I love the looks on their faces. They're all like, right? For me, Pentecost happens in the book of Acts, at the very, near the very beginning of the book of Acts. And it has to do with the apostles. And then they go out and start doing all these amazing things. To me, that is Pentecost. And so I was trying to decide on that scale of 1 to 10 where Pentecost fell as far as importance in me. But the fact that Google actually said the importance of Pentecost depends on the person. The person. Not the denomination. Not the church. Not... There's any number of things it could have said could have thought that Pentecost meant more to the Pentecostals than it did to the Baptists. But Google says it depends on the person. And that seems very significant to me. So we're going to come back to that person and personal evaluation of how important Pentecost is to you. But for now, we're going to start in the New Testament book of Acts, where Pentecost first appears. Acts was written by Luke, and that's important because he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So when we start in Acts, Acts 1, verse 1 says, In my former book, he's referring back to the Gospel of Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's two very specific things I want to draw your attention to. How many days after his resurrection did Jesus appear to them? Forty days. What did he command them to do? To wait. So they've been given their command. Now, wouldn't it be nice when we're in prayer and God tells us something and we really feel that he has given us a promise to hold on to, wouldn't it be nice if we got a timeline that came along with that? Here, the apostles do. He says, but in a few days, you will be baptized. 
with the Holy Spirit. So let's go on, um, take a look down at Acts chapter 2, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. Typical day with a group of friends. Right? Verse 10. Then they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now think about this. Here is a group of regular people that Jesus assembled together. He walked with them. He lived with them for three years. And then he's crucified. And they don't even know what to think until three days later when he raises from the dead and he starts to appear to them. And he does that for 40 days. Then he tells them, go wait in Jerusalem until my father sends you something, and then he's spirited up into a cloud. And then two men, who were not there just a moment ago, say to them, what are you doing looking in the sky? He'll come back. Don't worry about it. You're good. Just go do what he told you. Really? Does anybody else think that that would be an unusual string of events to go together? I mean, at what point are the apostles thinking, is happening. So what did they do? Well, they went to Jerusalem and they waited. Think about that word wait. It's the first thing that pops into your mind. For me, it was a waiting room. Like a doctor's waiting room or a dentist's waiting room. I hate waiting in waiting rooms. We had a, it was the best doctor probably I've ever known when our kids were young. But I'll tell you what, you knew that when you went there, you were waiting an hour to two hours because he always took time with his patients. And when you were the patient in the room, you really appreciated that. But when you were the one who was sitting out in the waiting room with a child who is not behaving themselves, you really didn't appreciate the time he took. Waiting, not a fun thing to do. Sometimes we uh, wait in lines. To me, it brings up, it conjures the wasting of time. But God has a very different definition of wait. I'd hearken it back to that stored energy. God is looking for us to wait with an expectation of movement to come at any moment. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run 
and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. None of that, to me, indicates wasting time. It indicates that I am supposed to be preparing for something. If I am waiting on the Lord, I am renewing my strength in him. I am mounting up with wings as an eagle. God is the only one who truly has an eagle's view of our lives. I shall run and not be weary. I shall walk and not faint. God's definition of wait is very different than ours. So with that in mind, let's go back to what the the apostles are doing. In Acts 2, verse 1. Well, what I'd like to point out is that in Acts 1, there are some things that happen. They replace Judas as one of the apostles with Matthias. 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 Somebody whose name I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce. Okay? Um, They continue to gather together in prayer. So they are continuing their lives while they wait for the promise that Jesus has told them to stay and wait. So we pick up in Acts 2, verse 1, and it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. How'd they know it was going to be the day of Pentecost? Were they just randomly all together in that particular place? Absolutely not. They're gathered together in the same room where they celebrated the Passover feast with Jesus. The Passover feast is a Jewish holiday, but it has become a central part of the Christian faith. Only we call it the Last Supper. Same meal, different term. They're together in this room because it is exactly 50 days since they sat in this room and enjoyed the Passover meal together. And the reason they are in this room is because it is a Jewish feast. It's the Feast of Pentecost. That is a Jewish feast. Now, I don't know about you, but I had no idea that that was true. Pentecost did not arrive on the scene when the Holy Spirit filled the apostles. It arrived on the scene way back in Exodus and Deuteronomy when God commanded them to celebrate 50 days after the Passover meal. It has gone by a couple of names. It can be called uh, the day of Pentecost. Uh, It can also be called... Shavuot, I've been practicing it, and he's been coaching me, and I knew when I got here I was going to Shavuot. (laughs) It can also be called the Feast of the 50 Weeks, or the Feast of Weeks, but Shavuot is the holy name for it, right? Okay. He did say that he would stand up and correct me if... I got off tangent here. So so the reason that the only person in this church who raised his hand is understanding that Pentecost came from the Old Testament is the one who grew up in the Jewish faith because he understands Pentecost 
is in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So they were gathering together because they were going about their daily business. They were going about what they needed to be doing in order for them to celebrate the feast they needed to celebrate. And they were gathered in one room waiting with an expectation that God would arrive on the scene. But that expectation was only potential energy because while Jesus said a few days, he didn't give them an exact date. He didn't tell them exactly when. So they were waiting for that moment to arrive. And in Acts 2, verse 2, it arrives. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They waited, and the moment is here. Now, if we go back to science class, Newton's first law of motion teaches us that an object at rest will stay at rest, and an object in motion will stay in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. These apostles were going about doing what they needed to be doing until they were acted upon by an unbalanced force. And that unbalanced force shows up in verse 2 as a blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the house and filled each of them with the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 tells us they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And I suppose that's where I get this unusual Google image of these men standing around with tongues of fire and all looking a little bit odd. But they were not as nearly as surprised as I think we think they were because they were waiting with an expectation that God would arrive on the scene. Sometimes we forget to wait with that expectation. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? Just because God brought them all there so that when these tongues of fire appeared, he could have a moment? No. Back in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, when God put together this Shavuot, okay, this day of Pentecost, there were three divinely appointed feasts decreed by the law and the Lord as pilgrimage feasts, during which the Israelite men were obligated to present themselves at the temple. They were Shavuot, Pentecost, unleavened bread, 
and tabernacles. Those were the three. So the reason these people were all gathered together in Jerusalem is because it was one of only three times that they were commanded to present themselves at the temple. God never does anything by accident. Everything is planned out. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew when he was going to do it. So these people had journeyed from all over Jerusalem, or all over the territories around, to present themselves to the temple in Jerusalem. So Acts 2, verse 6. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. you got to know that there were people outside the home where this sound happened who heard the sound. And a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? What you see up there are all the different places and all the different people who congregated together. These are all different people who spoke different languages. I would try to read them, but I'm going to let you pronounce them in your own head. Just saying. (laughs) Verse 11 tells us both Jews and converts to Judaism. So why are they hearing it spoken in their own language? You have a bunch of Galileans who are speaking And they're each hearing it in their own language. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. It makes known to you what it desires to make known to you. Verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, you always have the doubters. Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. They're drunk. You can understand them in your own language. Like somehow being drunk makes you understand them in your own language. Really? That doesn't come across as unusual? But here's where I want you to think about. Remember Google? That scale of 1 to 10, the importance of Pentecost depends on the person. Well, here's where I believe that becomes very important. Because in verse 14, Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd. And I believe that where Pentecost falls on your scale of importance is a direct correlation to your response to Peter when he stands and addresses the crowd. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. His potential energy is moving to kinetic energy. God has moved within him and told him to get up and speak, and he is doing so. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was hanged over, handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Those are some bold words. And we know, even today, that each one of us, through our own sin, had a hand in nailing Jesus Christ to that cross. But that is not where the story ends. Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? How you allow God's truth to cut to your heart will determine how important Pentecost is to you. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I would bet you every one of those 3,000 considered the day of Pentecost a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 and how important it was in their life. The Holy Spirit is the only way that we have as humans to fulfill what God has called us to do. The Holy Spirit renews us, gives us the ability to have that potential energy, that stored energy, that moment of standing in the block, absolutely ready for the gun to go off and to move into kinetic energy when God says, move, or go, or speak. 
or think differently. Transform your thoughts. Move from what you did to what God desires for you to do. The importance that we individually assign to the day of Pentecost is a reflection of our expectation of God to move in our lives and of our understanding that he gave everything he had to give us the opportunity to know him more personally. Through the day of Pentecost, God continues to bridge the Old Testament and the law to the New Testament and Jesus Christ. It didn't appear on the scene in Acts 2. It appeared on the scene in the Old Testament. But it was fulfilled in the New Testament when God poured out his spirit like a violent wind on to the apostles. How powerful is the Holy Spirit? Take a look at Luke 4, 14 through 19. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, He went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling, he found the place where it was written. This is Jesus talking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus operated in this earth under the power of the Holy Spirit. That same power indwells each one of us who understand that God gave everything through Jesus Christ to purchase our redemption. Jesus is the Redeemer who came to set us free Those who are slaves and prisoners to sin, a debt of sin that we could never repay, was paid on the cross. And we are forgiven that debt forever. We are no longer in bondage. We are no longer slaves to sin. But we are free through Jesus Christ and all that he gave us. God has provided the ability for us to cease laboring, to make ourselves acceptable to God not through our own works, but by the work of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament times, this was known every 50 years as a year of jubilee. A year of jubilee is when all prisoners and captives were set free. All slaves were released. All debt was forgiven. All property was returned to its original owners. We are originally God's. Jesus brought us back to that place. In addition, all labor was to cease for one year, and those bound by labor contracts were released from them. One of the benefits of the Jubilee was that both the land and the people were able to rest. 
we have the ability to not live in a year of jubilee, but in a lifetime of jubilee, because Christ set us free and gave us a rest that we can rely on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, gives us the power of God within us. We don't have a year, we have a lifetime as we wait upon the Lord, as we renew our strength, as we take potential energy that God builds within us and transform it to kinetic energy that God asks us to do, whether it is in the physical that people can see or in our minds as we transform our thoughts. God the Father designed it. Jesus Christ completed it. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us to empower us to act. So I go back to Acts 1.8, which is our memory verse today. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I want to leave you with the idea that I started with. There are various forms of energy. Electric, heat, light, motion, nuclear. And yet none of those compare to the energy of the one who created those energies. God is our energy force. He acts on us. He is an unbalanced force that acts on us to move from rest to motion, from one form of energy to another. Know who God is and embrace the indwelling of the Holy Spirit.